Hello and welcome to another episode of the Code of Career podcast with me, Cameron Blackwood. If you haven't come across us before, I'm an ex-technical recruiter who's now become a software engineer and I've created this podcast as a way to explain my perspective from both sides of the table. Now, my guest today is a seasoned recruiter and my former boss. Uh, his name is John Hazelton. He's currently a partner of a consultancy called The Pioneers. Uh, and John, would you like to introduce yourself a little bit? Hi, Cam. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm really happy to be on here. Um, and as you said, my name is John Hazelton. Uh, I am a partner here at The Pioneers. And what we're doing is we are, we're, we're, we're culture engineers. There's, we're trying to help companies as they scale, uh, create nice places to work. And we're doing that through our thing called the People Operating System, which we can, which we can go into a little bit more, a little bit later on if you want. Sounds good. Sounds uh, sounds very exciting. Uh, now, normally what I like to do at the start of these podcasts is go through some quick fire questions so the audience can get to know you a bit better. Uh, I may know some of the answers here, uh, so I'll be curious how much I already know about you, uh, <laughs> having worked together previously. Um, so question number one, without further ado, what was your very first computer that you used? Well, it depends what we're talking about computer. If I'm, The first thing that comes to mind when I think of computer is probably my Sega Mega Drive, my 16-bit Sega Mega Drive. Oh, classic machine. Yeah, classic machine. Old school games. I could still play it now. <laughs> yeah, 16-bit, wasn't it? So did you, was that sort of a, oh, I guess that would have been 95-ish. Am I right on that? Are you trying to say I'm getting very old, Cam? Is this the, is no, this I'm not the point? I'm getting, getting very old, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was uh it was when you i mean it was the days before fifa or, or just just before the original fifa started coming out so it was like blobs of heads to play football and uh and a racing game where you're static and the, the every, every the, the image was moving so yeah it was that old it's definitely come up before and uh obviously our old colleague uh sam uh he he said he was talking about his commodore 64 and he was saying oh, yeah. his favorite game was the the neighbors video game Delivering pa- <laughs> sort of a pixelated uh, paper boy delivering uh, papers around um, Erinsborough. I think I think it's called, the town is in, in the uh, uh, in the TV show. So there are some absolute classics. I think I, I missed that sort of sixteen bit uh, era. I was um, I grew up on sort of PS one, PS two, yeah, and uh, yeah. sort of Vice City uh, that sort of oh, thing yeah. when I was far too young to be playing it. Uh, that kind of <laughs> like everyone. <laughs> that kind of thing. I, yeah, I've told I've told the story in the podcast before, actually, but I got in a lot of trouble when my mum caught me playing Vice City when I was six. Uh, <laughs> but it was a classic game. Uh, um, I, I I got very interested in sort of eighties Miami uh, as a young child um, as a result of it. So you know, uh, who says I'm not educational? Uh, many a many a lost hour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so talking of cities, anyway, what, for the next quick fire question, what's your favourite tech city? This is a boring answer, but it's London. I don't think there's a... London's I, I not gen- a boring place. London's never I, a boring answer. I know, but it's uh, it's the safe answer. But I, I think maybe it's just because it's where I've spent most of my time. Paris is very cool as well. Berlin's got a good tech scene. Um, but for me, I feel like the community in London, um, the the breadth and the the, the the wealth of knowledge of of what is in in London, I think, is uh, is amazing. I'm just interested to see how this how this pans out post post-Brexit, post-pandemic, um, to see how those those networking kind of events and that kind of like networking ability to do that in London, 
how that pans out because that was I think integral to the London tech scene and quite unique as well. Um, so there, let's see, let's see how it goes. But for me, I'd, I'd say London. Yeah, pub culture kind of lends itself very nicely to networking, and uh, it will be interesting to see the remote uh, the remote work kind of um, trends to to see how people. I, I think people will still congregate. Like I, I'm a full remote employee now, and my new employer is actually in Birmingham rather than London, uh, so it's the Silicon Canal um, rather than the Silicon Roundabout. But uh, yeah, we're we're sort of going to do sort of meetups in Central Birmingham once this is all all blown over. I'll come down from Scotland for that. Uh, but L- London's an amazing tech city and uh, so many iconic companies have uh, both already come out there and are being built there right now. And, uh, you know, I'm just excited for the for the future for it. And, um, you know, with, with access to remote employees throughout the UK as well, it, uh, things are only going to get better, I, I reckon. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of investment as well. There's, the investment's still there for London. I think that's going to be the, the key. As long as the, the money and the investment's coming in, there'll be, uh, there'll be opportunities for sure. Yeah. As a general trend as well, venture capital money is flowing towards Europe because American investors have realized that European startups are relatively undervalued compared to those on the West and East Coast of the US. So I think that's an exciting trend. And, uh, you know, there's never been a better time if you're in London, Paris, Berlin, uh, every disco that I'm in, uh, you know, you can uh, <laughs> uh, you can uh, start, start a startup. There's never been a better time to, to get funding um, yeah. because the... Yeah, the attention is really swinging towards uh, t- towards Europe now. Um, so it's an exciting trend for sure. What What about when you're doing your work? Are you, are you more of a music or a podcast man? I do love a good podcast, but I think during work hours, I'm typically listening to audiobooks instead. I quite like to have that on in the background. Um, yeah, I, I, I what the I suppose the last one I was listening to, or the one I'm listening to at the moment is. Um, do you know the Heath brothers, Dan and Chip Heath? Uh, there's, uh, they've got a book out called. Yeah, there's a there's one called Upstream. Um, I did read the book, but then I've I've just been listening to it again. It's just fantastic. It's just about a way of thinking and how you approach problems and and thinking upstream solutions rather than downstream like reactive solutions. It's really interesting. Um, so yeah, I, I do love a. I do like a podcast. My 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 guilty pleasure podcast is the uh, Ricky Gervais podcast, just to help me sleep. That's my uh, that that's the my old ones or, or the more the new ones. The deadly serious. I, I listen to a lot of his stuff, but my my main my main one is the uh, the stuff they did with Carl Pilkinson and Steve Merchant. It's um, yeah, just, I, I, it's just I it's love that real, as well. It's a real guilty pleasure. I've got to admit. I mean, it's not really fulfilling anything other than other than just a bit of escapism and. Uh, uh, yeah, it just it just it just makes me laugh, and it's just an easy thing to listen to to fall asleep. <laughs> yeah, they're one of those things that's aged so well. Like I, I was, I, it's funny you you're saying about it because I was actually listening to it the other day. It's all on Spotify, and uh, yeah, uh, they're they're talking about oh, you know, Live Eight is on later today. I was thinking Live Eight, and then I looked it up. I was nine when that happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Arguably, you'd say that uh, Gervais that they were the ones that like really brought podcasting. Like mainstream, I think that there's a there's a lot to they say were. for the stuff they did. Mm. Yeah, they were number one podcast in the world for like three years running, and they were the ones that brought about the medium. And yeah, it was because uh, podcasting had a it had a bit of a it had a bit of a kind of birth around two thousand five to two thousand seven. Because I remember being you know a young teenager and sort of downloading uh, downloading a few of the like, uh, but I, I guess they hadn't figured out 
the format properly like i used to download the like best of radio one this week podcast and that kind of thing and the the kind of format hadn't been fully figured out as it has been in the last few years because now we've had a boom over the last sort of three to four years yeah exactly there's 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 so much good content out there and so much bad content as well there there is a lot of not so good content but there's uh... (laughs) (laughs) i hope you're not talking about the code of career podcast available on all good streaming platforms absolutely not (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's the up and coming i was surprised that you weren't gonna say about your 7am drum and bass sessions that you used to talk about talent like we get in before everyone else and just blast your drum and bass and 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 get a load uh, yeah, of yeah there done. is this yeah i mean i was talking this uh um a, f- a friend of my wife's so she's staying for a few days and uh we were talking about this and she was saying how she's got this like um low low lo-fi type music she listens to to concentrate and i was like if i need to concentrate it's very loud, intense music, whether it's, um, I always, I, people think I'm a bit crazy for saying this, but I, I, I feel there's a correlation that I can concentrate very well with drum and bass with no words and classical music with no words. Everyone says there is absolutely no parallel between the two. There is nothing the same. <laughs> but for me, I find that really easy to, uh, to concentrate. So, yeah. Yeah, I see, I see what you mean. I, I like a bit of drum and bass to code to, for sure. Um, I, I like it. So I was saying to Liska, who was on the podcast the other day, um, this is uh, super embarrassing, but I've been listening to the Mr. Robot soundtrack uh, while <laughs> I code because it makes me feel like I'm much better than I actually am. Um, and that, it's also an amazing soundtrack, to be fair. Yeah. Um, and that, that that's really good. But um, yeah, I like a bit of drum and bass while I'm, while I'm coding. I think it's something to do with like maybe the consistent BPM. As you said, the lack of lyrics as well uh, is probably probably behind it. Um, but yeah, I think... Uh, yeah, I, I do. I do remember you discussing that quite a lot. I remember asking your advice on productivity. You were like, you "Should just get into the office at seven a.m. and listen to drum and bass for me." I'm thinking, mm, yeah, I mean, no, I whatever. Wh- yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm a, I'm a pretty. I prefer to get up. But for me, I'm, I'm more of an early, early riser type person. I like to get up. I like to get in, get on, and uh, I'm not a late. I, I don't like working into the the wee small hours. Um, that's not my. It's not my thing. I, I can't do it. I, I much prefer being up early. That was actually my next question. I think it's it, it's an interesting one. People are definitely trending towards, especially with remote working, uh, sort of being an early bird and uh, sort of getting getting some work done beforehand, like or even just getting out the door. And I, I'm a big believer now in what uh, in sort of just getting some sunlight in my eyes, like as early as possible without the day, just to sort of set my brain right. Um, because I I have had a tendency with remote work. I mean, you managed me before, and you know I'm not whilst punctual maybe uh rolling in at exactly the right time uh <laughs> in the mornings it, it was uh it's always been something did you just move up to edinburgh though cam and you want to get some sunlight i mean i don't know if you're going to be able to do that with all that rain cloud are you it's a tr- tropical it is a tropical <laughs> city up here that's glasgow where it rains on the <laughs> east coast of scotland it is sunny all the time like we have very early sunrises through the summer actually the wi- the winter mm, not so much but uh I've got a Lumi, so I'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm uh, I'm half I'm a half Scottish myself, so I know I know the uh, the trials and tribulations of the weather up there. Yeah, <laughs> it's very unpredictable. Um, what what about when you're actually working? Are you, uh, do you, do you what powers it? Is it coffee or tea? Ah, uh, used to be tea, and then I joined a European company, and now I'm I'm, I'm more I'm more coffee man now. I even invested in a little coffee machine for myself. Yeah. Is that like espressos and that kind of thing? Absolutely, yeah. 
Very nice. Uh, and what, what about if you weren't working uh, sort of in recruitment or I should say more uh, company building these days, what would you yeah. be doing instead? I would, I'd love to be an astronaut, Cam. Nice. Don't know if that's a realistic. That's an out of this world answer. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that's a, a real. No, that's definitely not a realistic uh, aspiration. Um, but no, I, I'd love to be. Uh, I, I think maybe doing something outdoors. Don't know what. I, I haven't really ever thought about that. Maybe being something like a, or, or maybe a, a police investigator, something like that. That could be quite cool. Hmm, I could nice. imagine. Yeah. It's a pretty interesting variety of roles. Like, uh, oh yeah, yeah. I haven't, as you can tell, I wasn't prepared for that answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, to, to be fair, mate, I want to be a professional rugby player, and I think that uh, you being an astronaut is more realistic than me. Being <laughs> <a rugby player>. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> Although, based on those Lions performances, we probably should have. We're probably going to need more. Need, need you, Cam? Yeah, probably. Get get me in at ten. Ping, pinging in, uh, <laughs> pinging in some balls to the corner. <laughs> Any, anyone who doesn't know about rugby has got not a clue what we're talking about right now no, probably thinks no, we're talking about a safari but yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so we're, we're we're talking um talking ge- uh, sort of technical recruitment in general what what was it that led to you working in our industry um like most people i don't think you grow up thinking i want to be a technical recruiter um it was one of those things that i i more fell into uh i knew that I had this like intrinsic thing to want to help people and to to do something in that space. Um, and recruitment seemed to have a recruitment generally has a low barrier to entry to get into this type of job. Um, and if you're quite successful, you can move quite quickly through the um, through that system. And uh, and that that's basically how I, I got into it. I was just I was in London. A lot of my friends were working in London. I wanted a job in London so I could experience that. And, uh, and yeah, an opportunity came along and I had a couple of, uh, a couple of jobs in recruitment in that not over, over the years. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Cause uh, you started out, I might've remembered this completely wrong. Didn't you do a state agency for a very brief period of time? Or have I totally very, made that up? No, no, no. I did for an <laughs> extremely brief amount of time. Um, it was more of the case. Uh, I think my car had broken down. I was about, I don't know how old I was. I was very young. And uh, they said, oh, you know, there's this job. You can get a free car and a free mobile phone and commission and all this sort of stuff. And I was like, wow, sign me up. Let's do it. And then I realized I definitely <laughs> didn't want to do this very quickly. Uh, and then, like I said, a lot of friends moved into into this, like really into the city. So I was like, oh, you know, let's, let's, uh, let's see what this is all about. It's funny. It's funny you mentioned that uh, you fell into it because I think literally uh, you were probably the fourth technical recruitment professional I've spoken to that has said to the exact team, uh, I, I fell into it. Yeah, exactly. And it was, uh, I think it's typical for most most people. Um, but I knew quickly that's not where I wanted to stay doing. I, I felt that there was a lot of inefficiencies and not very good practices in that space. Like for every good thing going on in that space, I think there's a lot more not so good things going on. Um, and very outdated uninnovative ways of of working when i first started out obviously there's a lot has changed since then um and that kind of what that's kind of what helped me move more towards kind of like a general manager type role and then obviously working with um working with other companies as well to try and help them improve their processes and stuff like that uh but yeah to be fair like without it i wouldn't have been able to take the path that i took so i'm very grateful for the for the industry for that 
Um, but I do think there's a lot that needs to be fixed in that space. Yeah, I, I, I echo that sentiment. I think there's a lot of people doing really positive work towards fixing it for sure. And um, I, I'm really grateful for the path I took because doing that, I, I work for a company that, you know, I, I, I didn't like how we offer, uh, how some, how we operated sometimes. And then, then I worked for you uh, at Talent IO, which I really enjoyed. And I felt like we were bringing uh, sort of some sort of positive cha- change around. And it's thanks to the experience I got working uh, at those two places that I was able to learn about code really so I'm um, I'm forever thankful that I worked in technical recruitment even if I found <laughs> even I worked for an agency that I found it a bit tough uh, for a while a um, l- little bit of chaos going on and uh, sort of like a lot of noise and air horns and music in the office when a deal went off and that kind of thing uh, it wasn't really me um, I'm a bit I, I realize I'm a bit more of a uh, try as I might to be a Jordan Belfort I'm a bit more of a IT guy really <laughs> 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 but yeah, no, I, 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 I know what you mean. I, I completely agree. It's, it's, it's one of those industries that is enormous. So you can't ignore it. It, 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 it generates so much every year. But and it, it does fill a, it does fill a need of people. But I just don't know how much of a positive need it's fulfilling. That there's a, yeah, I think there's a lot more things that people could be doing internally ultimately to to progress their business rather than just relying on on agencies i think it should be a it could be a part of the strategy for more like bespoke and and sheer volume i i get the reasons why you would use it but you have to make sure that they're adhering to your company brand and your employer brand and your candidate experience that type of stuff um and not just being left off to their own devices but as a whole other topic yeah yeah no definitely um and I, i guess we're talking about the recruitment side of things what would you say makes a candidate stand out? I mean, this is completely de- deviation from what we were talking about, but uh, obviously both of us recruited junior candidates quite a lot over our careers. And um, is there anything that, you know, m- makes people stand out if they're looking for that first or second job in tech and they want to stand out, stand out from the crowd? I think it's a good question. I think I, I can answer that quite, I can answer that quite, quite well, I think just because we're actually hiring for our company at the moment, the pioneers, we're actually hiring for a, <laughs> what, a junior a developer. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. Uh, and we, we, when we're talking junior, I think it's very important to differentiate. There's, there's, there's two, um, there's two kind of paths. You can either come from being a grad or you can go down the path that you've gone is that you've retrained, right? You've retrained in something. And I think that both, both avenues are very valid and they both bring different um, uh, different perks and, and, and benefits, but then there's also some challenges with both. So I think in answer to your question, what do we look for? Um, everything has to be focused on what what success looks like in the job. So I think it's, it's not necessarily what we're looking for in the candidates to offer. I think it's how well a company defines what they need for somebody to do well in that position first. And if you haven't done that properly as a business, your due diligence, then it's very difficult to assess somebody. Um, But if we're talking about just about standing out, I think it's about passion, um, presenting no massive ego, having a desire to learn, um, demonstrating they've got a good uh, work ethic um, and being very genuine. And what I mean is you don't have a professional persona and a personal life persona. You're just you. I think that's very important to get that across. Uh, I think pretty much all of this goes across 
most junior roles, not just tech junior roles. But I think that's going to be really important. Um, you know, like, for example, I was speaking to somebody the other day who interviewed and because they hadn't got any Node.js experience, not that we require it, but it's something that we said we might look to use. In preparation for the interview, they actually did a course on Node.js a week before in prep for the interview. Like, And I was like, oh, you know, that, that just shows initiative. It shows that people are going above and beyond. So I think it's just, it's that showing that willingness as well. I know I've probably said about 10 different things here, but I think main things, passion, no ego, desire to learn, be yourself. They're probably the the top four yeah that's so important and i I absolutely love that example you brought up about the the candidate in the interview and people are listening now thinking how can i get that first job that's a fantastic example of uh of how you can go out there and, and make yourself stand out because don't be afraid if you see a nice to have that you've never worked with if you want to impress an employer go and do a basic course in it you know you you don't have to be an expert but like you can easily get a job in a framework you're unfamiliar with. Like I got a job doing Angular work when I'd never touched it before. And, you know, it was something where I went away and I did a course in TypeScript and Angular, which I'd never done. Um, and I went into the interview process and yeah, the code I wrote was probably a bit janky. Uh, and I showed them some React work that I'd done, which I'm more familiar with. But as a result of that, I was able to show them that I was willing to learn. And as John said, you know, it's about the no ego, the humility, uh, and the fact that you're able to accept feedback and, and grow as a developer because that that's the thing they're taking a chance on you and molding you into a, into a future senior who will be the kind of person that they'll want other people to learn from and if you can demonstrate those qualities and uh, it is so important and I, I actually am a firm believer that it's 60 percent soft skills 40 percent technical skills to get your first job in tech it's a fair point it's a fair it's a fair comment I think yeah <laughs> and we we talked we touched on London earlier would you would you recommend uh, I guess this is more directed towards people in Western Europe and, and the UK already uh, but would you would you say London's a good place if you want to get your first tech job I think there is such a supportive ecosystem for people in London that it makes complete sense to to still to still come here. I mean, even if you're looking at other big hubs, you know, in, even in Germany, in France, I think there's such a big melting pot of people in London still. Like there's so many, it's such a diverse place to be with so many different realms of experience. Um, it's a, And I think people are willing to help. There's a lot of groups out there at the moment where you can get mentorship and personal professional development and all that type of stuff. So I would 100% say London's a, London's a fantastic place to be. Still, it still is. I don't think much has changed there. Yeah, it's definitely a good, a good place to be. And uh, I, you know, moving there when I when I graduated, it, it was a great experience. And the opportunities there are fantastic. And there's a lot of uh, really cool startups. You know, Fang organizations as well are there. Um, the UK in general is a fantastic place to be a developer, but L- London's pretty awesome, and I, I definitely recommend it. So um, I'm glad I'm glad uh, you, you agree, and um, it, it's definitely worth looking at. And we're aiming to, uh, in the near future, have some London-based vacancies on the Code of Career website. And uh, would your would your position at, at the Pioneers would that be London-based, or is that for anyone in the UK to work remotely? How, how would that work? We are remote first, um, but we understand that there, there there is a desire for people to want to go into the office at the moment, um, just to meet, to interact. Uh, so we will we're not going to put a you must be in for X period of time, but the ability to come to the office would probably be helpful because, you know, especially being a, 
a junior, you might want to ask for some help. You might need some context on something. It's easier just to turn and ask rather than having to say, are you free to talk? These types of things I think are going to be quite important to help support and, and mentor someone. Um, but then obviously when you need to code, we're very aware that people need three, four hours of solid head down code without distraction. So there's, you know, there's that ability as well. We, we, un we understand that. So that's hopefully what we're, we're trying to move towards. Awesome. That that sounds great. And kind of kind of segueing in into a related point here. Um, if you're a software engineer who is quite junior, maybe not had much experience dealing with recruiters, even for non-technical stuff, how can they tell that a position they're being offered uh, an interview for is a good position and whether it's a good opportunity? Are there any green uh, green or red flags that you would suggest? Um. So are we talking that that this person's actually in the process now? Right, they're in the interview. Uh, I would, you know what, both actually, because both in the initial message and the advertisement to the point where you're maybe doing a phone screen and a cultural interview, because there's a few different points to look out for, I suppose. Yeah, I think it all depends on the context. But I mean, if we start with uh, some tips on how to deal with recruiters in that situation, I think there's some key things that you should be aware of around um, some not best practices that are performed in the recruitment industry, which is like just putting up job advertisements to try and generate candidates to make uh, so they can actually speak to them, find out what's going on in the market and, and, and talk to them for if a job does come up. Um, so to try and make sure that you understand that or to, to get to the bottom of whether a job is real, ask things like, um, is this a real job? Like, is it actually a real vacancy? And if they, you know, people can say yes, but it's, so what's the company's story? What's their biggest challenge? What exactly would I be doing? What are the benefits of this company? Like, if you ask them questions that they really have to think about and they can't answer it, you'll get a pretty clear idea as to whether this is a, a, a real position or not. Um, from a... From a company perspective, if you're, if you're approaching companies directly... I think one of the main things is you're in demand, right? They're, 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 remember that, right? You're in demand. You don't have to take that in an arrogant way, like, oh, I can do whatever I want, demand whatever salary I want. But make sure you speak about salary very early. People have the tendency to avoid this topic. And one of the biggest reasons we see people not taking a job that's been offered is because there's a, there's a, a, a divide between the salary that you want versus what the salary the company wants to pay. And nobody's spoken about it. They've just gone, oh, this person's really good. Or she's amazing. Or he's great. And it comes to that point and, and nobody's discussed the salary. So definitely talk about that early. Um, understanding what the work environment's like. If you get an interview, reach out to some people who are working there. Reach out to some other developers and say, look, hi there, I have an interview with your company. Is there anything you can give me some tips about the company? Or can I have a quick chat with you to understand more? Don't be afraid to do that. Like, what I wouldn't be afraid to, to ask these type of things. Um, and then when you're in the actual company, uh, the, the actual interview, sorry, I'd probably say really dig deep on what it's like to work there. Like, what's the culture really like? Are they saying, oh, it's great. We've got a ping pong table. It's amazing. But nobody's ever allowed <laughs> to use the ping pong table and you have to work from 7 till 10 every single day, 7 a.m. till 10 p.m. Uh, or, or, or if it is that, just understand what's the biggest challenges you have, right? There is no way there is a startup out there that's growing <laughs> that hasn't got problems or challenges. Understand it. If you know it early on, then you're not going to be in for a shock, right? So use it as a way to 
to assess if the company's right for you as well as if you're right for that company. Um, and I think you can do that by asking those types of questions. Just just dig a little bit deeper. And if you're unsure of something, ask for clarification on any on anything. Yeah, de- definitely. And I think there's some really good points on the fact that an interview is a two-way process. You're assessing the company as much as they're assessing you. And people sometimes get panicked or afraid of that. And the other thing to remember as well, particularly dealing with external recruiters, they're not your boss. You know, you don't have to do what they say and uh, you you don't need to be afraid to question them at all. And they should be happy to be questioned. And honestly, if someone reacts badly to being questioned about company culture or that kind of thing, uh, you sh- it's probably a major red flag anyway. And you shouldn't continue with that interview process. I would just clarify and iterate that you're, you, you want to make sure that you're, you don't want to come across like somebody who's trying to take control of the situation and interviewing them, like, tell me everything, but just subtly ask the questions and, and just make sure that you're, you, you have clarity around the things that you want to know. What's my, per- what would my personal development look like? Do you have this? Is there a budget for that? Like, is there investment in me? If not, that's cool. If it's just going to be for 18 months that I'm going to work here because it's a startup. Like, and, and and that's the thing. Remember, most people in a tech startup are staying there for 12, 18 months, two years at a push. And, you know, you get the odd person that's there for longer. Um, but typically, people are there for 18 months. So just be, be aware of that, that, you know, it's not a forever job, right? Nobody's taking a startup job forever. It's not a life right? sentence, yeah. No, exactly. There's no such thing as a forever job anyway, I think. Unless you're being self-employed, there's no such thing as a forever job. And I think that's something maybe sort of the generation above us and the generation above that um, don't understand so much. They they find it a bit weird that people happily leave jobs after 12 to 18 months. But you have to, uh, you know, people... You're 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 kind of a you're a commodity in the labour market, right? And you can take advantage of your position, not just have not not be taken advantage of. So it it's uh, obviously you don't want to quit every job after six months because I've seen people do that and it catches up to you. Um, but you know don't don't be afraid to leave a job after a little while if you feel like you've already got everything you wanted out of it and you feel like you've contributed enough. I think on that, just to build on that one point, it's as soon as you stop learning or you feel like you're not learning, leave. You're not if you're not learning, you're not growing, you're not improving. So just, I would, I would have a conversation about it. Don't you like, right, I haven't learned anything, so I'm leaving. But uh, <laughs> I would definitely um, speak. To, and, and, and once you're into the role, I know we've, we've deviated slightly. We've gone to the next couple of steps. People have got the job now. But make sure you're asking for that support. Make sure you're talking to your direct manager and explaining, you know, the path that you want to go and, and see how your employer can support you. And you should definitely define a path. That's something that I've been doing at work recently with my management. And it's been really great because we've been able to define a path of how I can progress, not just over the next three months, but over the next two to three years. And that that's an exciting prospect. And it gives you some clear goals to strive for. And uh, it's very motivating. And you need to make sure it's not just technical skills that you're learning as well, but maybe have a maybe have a goal in mind where you want to speak at a meetup in a year. That's a way for, as a junior developer, you can really kickstart your confidence, um, especially if you don't like public speaking that much. Like, for me, one motivation behind starting this podcast was I wanted to get better uh, at, at speaking. And it's a very important skill to have no matter what job you do, because if you're dealing with key stakeholders, if you're able to speak coherently and well, it's a really important skill. Cool. And my, my kind of final question for you, John, as someone that has now been in uh, the tech industry for quite a while with recruiting and company building, how would you say we can address the skills gap that we have in the UK right now? Like we have plenty of developer jobs, but not too many developers. What can we do about that? I that's a very it's a difficult question, right? I don't think there is an answer to this right now. Um, 
that there's no silver bullet answer, I don't think, right? I, I believe that there's some there's some short-term things that we can do. We could make better visas for uh, and make it an easier process for these types of jobs because there's and I, I mean I said this uh, I did a an interview a couple of years ago at uh, London Tech Week and it was when the government had released a new visa but it was for the entrepreneurs which is great because it creates the opportunities but you're creating opportunities and there's nobody to fill these up like these uh, these roles right so I think there needs to be a bit of a revamp in the system of allowing software engineers to get into the country from from everywhere yes there needs to be a certain standard of a, a level you know that people have to adhere to of course and and whatever but i think um that kind of like assessment would be done through the interview process anyway to keep the bar to keep the bar high uh so something around that um i think we should be giving more people an opportunity so people like yourself that retrained i think there should be more uh, more given, more opportunities given to people like this. And I also think that companies who are hiring for graduate engineers need to put better learning and development plans in for these types of people so they can ramp up and they have their time to effectiveness can be reduced drastically. There has to be something done around that. Um, and outside of that, I don't know if there's anything major you could do right now that that, that, that gap exists. And, you know, there's only so many people that can fill these gaps right so you just need to attract them to the uk but that's not overall fixing the total problem um and then and then like the medium to to long-term plan is how do you get more people into software engineering from the grassroots level like how does that work how are you going to get people in how do you make it exciting how do you make it attractive um i mean i don't i i i, I couldn't comment on on intake of people taking up uh, these these uh, these courses at the moment, but there has to be stuff done at STEM level. Um, yeah, uh, from the from uh, very very early years, getting kids into this. Um, I think the CEO of Google said the other day it was like your kids are going to grow up with tech. You can't really you're going to have to teach them to live with tech. So instead of everyone having this negative worry about, oh my God, my kid's on an iPad. I mean, as long as they're just not sitting there looking at Paw Patrol for 10 hours in a row and they could be interacting with really cool <laughs> companies. You know, uh, companies like Lego, fantastic. Like I've got a little six, six and a half year old yeah. boy, little Harry, and he loves Lego. And I've just seen something come out um, where you can interact with the Lego in the iPad. So you can actually program the the Lego mm. to move right this this is really like really good ways of and innovative ways of getting kids into this you've got roadblocks you've got all this type of stuff um so i think we just have to we have to educate parents as well about the benefit of children being in this space as well it's not just a, oh my god my kid's going to sit there they're just going to look at an ipad they're not going to get out and do any exercise type thing and they're they're going to get square eyes from looking at a screen for too long right <laughs> as i used to get told <laughs> as a kid um so i think that there has to be an educational piece around it for parents as well um and and yeah so i think there's a there's some there's some short-term and long-term things that we can do um but yeah mainly just give people opportunities Give people the opportunities. It's like when people say there's not enough um, there's not enough women in in tech. There's a million. There's over a, a million women in tech now. Give them give them more opportunities. It's it's uh, there is that there is in that the element UK or, or worldwide in the U in the UK. I spoke to um, 
a lady called Jayan. Um, yeah, um, we spoke on, uh, uh, she uh, was a, a director of technology, I believe, um, at uh, Goldman's and um, a couple of other like investment uh, type banks. She was a Google mentor as well, and 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 she gave me this uh, she gave me this piece of information. It's just it's about you know it, it's it's going in the right direction, but it's still not where it needs to be. But we just need to encourage more people from different backgrounds to get involved because, like, if you look at like you're a prime example, you're a, a white male in 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 uh, programming. It's it's a pretty you know it's the pretty dominant force uh, workforce isn't it it's like how can we get more people from different groups of people into this as well and excited by um software engineering um and i think that also again it's a, it's all about education so yeah i, I would i definitely um i would definitely say these two things yeah no that, that that's really interesting and i think uh, as well on, on the last point there's definitely a snowball effect of you know once positive um actions start to be taken and, and you see positive results that all uh, it will grow exponentially and you know we'll, we'll have something that reflects um you know where, where it needs to be really uh so i think you know the, the trends are in the right direction but you know we can the more work that gets put in particularly at the school level then the better results we're going to see um over the long term and you know uh, from what i've heard the schools have started improving improving it and there's a lot of potential uh, potential there and i think you know if we continue to embrace um our tech industry and and provide mentorship opportunities uh then it's you know and also as well helping career changes like people that maybe have uh are going back into tech after starting a family and that kind of thing um you know it, it's a it's a really great way to to bring new people into the industry because it's not the hardest thing in the world to learn like there's a reputation for it being really hard it's not like how many other careers can you get into after doing like a 12-week course not many so it, it, it's great. And I highly recommend anyone who's maybe listening to this out of curiosity to, you know, just do some free online classes and see what you think, because it's not as intimidating as people make it out to be. Yeah. And a good tool for that to look at is uh, Udemy is a very good. If you just want to have a little look and, and, and try, uh, make sure you go in incognito mode because you get a cheaper price. I don't know if yeah. that, <laughs> that, that hack still works, but make sure you do do it. You save yourself about 100 quid. Yeah. Um, yeah. So and yeah, free code camp as well. It's totally free. You should uh, try that as well. There's no, yeah, no advertisement. So that's really good. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I think it, uh, just, just the final point is around the educational piece. It's raising awareness of what possible jobs there are in tech. There, there, there's a whole wide ranging like level of jobs that you can get into but people just don't know yeah. what they are or don't know how to how to get into it. Um, people think it's all so yeah. like embedded software and that kind of thing, which is really complicated. Yeah. And actually, there's there's a lot of a lot, and most of my work is front end, which is you know I really enjoy. And it's it's not like it's not like you're you're doing really complicated maths or anything. It's it's about thinking about how users interact with things and how how we can provide a great user experience. But then you also have the possibility to go into like other stuff that could excite you, like like you know that that kind of engineering. Uh, if you want to go and work in a Formula One company. Or, or something like this is very cool. Yeah, you know that there's a that's that whole industry there as well to that that needs to be yeah. cracked as well. So yeah, there's a lot. Um, we could definitely continue talking about that for hours, but both of our lunch hours sort of rapidly winding up. <laughs> so um, yeah, I mean, I just want to say a massive thank you for coming on, John. And you know, it would be great to have you as a guest again in the future because I think we barely scratched the surface of 
uh, what, what the experience you've had in, in the technical industry, recruiting and building teams. Um, so have you got anything, uh, anything else you want to shout out about the pioneers or, or anything like that while we're still here? Yeah, I mean, um, one, we're hiring for a, uh, for a junior software engineer at the moment. So if you want to come and work with some really cool technology, um, you want to work in a serverless architecture, you want to use all the, all the coolest tools out there and, and work with um, uh, no-code type work to allow people ops people to create automations and stuff is a very, very interesting opportunity. Um, and also, if you're, a, if you're a, a HR professional or a people person um, that is looking at how do I scale a company with all the social complexity that comes with that as you scale, come and have a chat to us. No, no obligation to buy anything or engage with us, but just have a chat. You never know. We might be able to point you in the right direction and we can give you a, a free copy of our, our People OS canvas to have a look at. Excellent. Well, thanks for having me, Cam. I've really enjoyed it. Oh, likewise. Thank, thank you for thank you for coming on. And all your links will be in the description of this podcast. Anyone who's curious, please do check out the Pioneer. Uh, also, as well, get in touch with us. Follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram. I've finally set that up, and our website as well, which is uh, in a constant state of development. But I'm sure it'll be live soon, hopefully. Uh, so please check that out for the latest news, views, and jobs and tech. Uh, but until next time, thanks for listening to the Code of Career. This has been Cam Blackwood. See you next time. Bye.